Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Intentionally Inspirational, the podcast for entrepreneurs and those who just want more out of life. Now for your host and author of the upcoming book, The Backwards Route to Forward Progress, Jason Wright. Hello, everybody. What's going on? This is Jason Wright, your host, and this is the final podcast of 2016. Started April 2nd. Here we are in late December with episode number 49. This one is titled Seizing Opportunity with Pete Williams. So before we listen to the conversation that I had with our guest from the other side of the pond in Australia, I'll tell you a few things upcoming in the new year. So in 2017, in the early part of the year, we'll get going with it pretty much right away. We're going to have uh, some of our team members, or one in particular, a new one uh, for Intentionally Inspirational, help me co-host occasionally. She will also help voice over ads and that type of thing for the podcast, so you'll start seeing more and more people get involved. Next year, we'll have some of our former guests come back and help me co-host, so a lot of different format and host options coming your way. Try to keep things interesting. Keep things enjoyable and relevant for you as well. Um, with all that being said, it's been a great year. Look forward to see what comes next year as well. And we will see shortly what they call Pete Williams, the Richard Branson of Australia. Enjoy this. Hello, Inspire Nation. I've got a great guest with me today. I've got Pete Williams out of Australia. Let me tell you what I know about Pete. Pete is a, an award-winning entrepreneur, an author, a marketer, an international speaker, a marketing consultant, and a faculty member of one of the world's largest internet marketing training academies called The Challenge. He's also, he was also the global runner-up in the JCI Creative Young Entrepreneur Awards in 2009, a finalist in the Ernst & Young 2010 Entrepreneur of the Year, and a member of Smart Company's Top 30 Under 30. And finally, he is the author of The International Sensation, How to Turn Your Million Dollar Idea into a Reality. Thank you, Pete, for joining me. You're welcome, mate. I better make sure I'm really articulate after that introduction. Uh... <laughs> yeah, so it is safe to say that you have done more than me at this point. So awesome. <laughs> I've had some good luck and uh, some good people around me. Well, it's very interesting you say that. Uh, uh, kind of a common thing that I hear a lot of people say is it, it's all about the people. I keep hearing that that uh, uh, that repeated over and over. So, uh, how did you get started with all of this? How did how did all this come about? Yeah, good question. I, I guess I don't know. I've always kind of had that entrepreneurial kind of bend. I guess I'm not really sure where it came from. My parents weren't entrepreneurs; they weren't sort of business owners. Uh, grandparents were, but not my parents. They were sort of a bit more reserved and employee stuff. So it wasn't like it was sort of handed to me or I, I grew up around it, just sort of always been that way. Uh, when I was in high school, I started my first business, which was just a, a really basic web design company. This is back in like 97, 98, 99. Where it was, you know, web was pretty basic, but just started doing some websites for some local businesses. Uh, and then from there, kind of just kind of kept parlaying into different projects and, and different crazy things. Very cool. So you've got, I guess we'll call it a, a parent company called Preneur Group. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then underneath that, you've got on hold advertising, Infinity Telecommunications, Simply Headsets, Stitch Software, Ear Hero Sports, um, <laughs> Ponsford Pen, and you own the it sounds uh, pretty big, doesn't it? The G. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff going on. So where did that all begin? Like, which one of those was your first? Yeah, sure. Well, there's probably two or three kind of big chunks across the group now obviously that all these those subsidies or subsidiaries sorry that you mentioned uh aren't all wholly owned so some of them have sort of got you know, partners in and bits and pieces so that's sure. sort of the team stuff you spoke about so um look the, the biggest chunk of it is in the telecommunication space here in australia um about 12 years ago uh my business partners in the telco group had a telco company they were sort of mostly doing phone bill analysis and cheaper phone rates and, and that kind of jazz and um I came along and did some consulting for them. And at that time, we kind of realized that, you know, the market was shifting. 
people started to use Google uh, and the web when they had a problem and they were trying to find a solution rather than pulling out the old yellow pages or, or something like that, they started to go to Google. And we realized that in the telco space, particularly here in Australia, that um, no one was doing phone system hardware sales well. So what we did is we went, okay, well, this is a, a market we can we can tap into. So basically, I came on board, we pivoted the business and went after the phone system market. Uh, so none of us have really, you know, phone system background. You know, we are a marketing company that sales and markets phone systems. So that's kind of the way we treat all our projects and all our businesses is that we're a marketing company first and foremost. Uh, and then, you know, we just find the product that fits the market. So that's sort of how we started that. We sort of pivoted the business, uh, went into the, the phone system space and are now one of the larger phone system uh, sales and support companies in Australia up and down the East Coast. Uh, so that's sort of where that started. Then a few years later, Simply Headsets sort of became a bit of a, a seed idea. We thought, well, how can we you know, expand the, the group there? How can we generate more leads for the phone system side of the business? We went, well, you know, if someone wants to buy an office headset for their receptionist or look, their call center, they must have a, a group of um, a phone system there. So we went, okay, well, let's try and sell a whole bunch of headsets and then upsell, cross-sell them into the larger phone system sales and support business. Uh, and that kind of original idea completely failed in that, you know, six years later or seven years later, we still haven't really cracked the way to actually convert a headset sale into a phone system sale. So what we've found is that the people who are buying the headsets aren't the same decision makers who are buying a $10,000 phone system. It might be the call center manager who can obviously, you know, choose to buy 20 headsets for his team but can't replace the entire company's phone system. So we didn't really crack that original uh, goal there. However, the headset business has now turned into the largest headset e-commerce business in Australia. So we kind of made lemonade out of lemons there a little bit. So in a weird sort of way, that business turned into a huge success, but not based on its original plan. So they're kind of the telco stuff. They're the two biggest ones in that particular space. That's been a fun journey. Um, and then there's sort of the other sort of side businesses that I guess that are very successful businesses, but I consider them more of a, a side hustle play to sort of keep my self-diagnosed ADD in check. So um, <laughs> the the eHero Sports stuff is just some headphones that I'm selling uh, and partnered up with a guy in the States that um, the headphones and earphones that were originally developed for the CIA and FBI. So they basically allow you to still hear all the um, surrounding sound around you. You know, most headsets uh, and earphones are designed to block all the noise. So you just hear that bass and hear the good tunes. Uh, but you know, for the FBI and CIA, the whole idea is you want to still hear your radio communications, but still better hear the situational sound around you in case something happens. So that's kind of where they originally came from. Um, and then I am a bit of a cyclist when I have the time, and I was trying to find some earphones that would be uh, suitable for riding my bike, so I could listen to audio books and, and podcasts like this on my bike, but still hear the traffic around me for safety reasons. So I stumbled across these earphones and went, these are perfect for that sports market. So I kind of got in touch with the developer and the creator and we went, okay, well, let's take it into the sports space. So that's sort of a, a bit of a side project, sort of helping them expand their business and taking it into that area, which has uh, been a lot of fun and, and, and been really cool. So yeah, kind of, uh, I think as I said, self-diagnosed ADD that kind of, uh, as most entrepreneurs are, you have so many ideas and I've just been lucky enough that some of them have stuck and have, have seemed to work. No, that's uh, that's so true. Um, w one thing that you said that I just I just picked up on right away that I love is uh, you had a failure, and out of that failure, you found a, another opportunity. So the the focus, you know, that a lot of people have, and, and let me know what you think about this. But a lot of people seem to focus on the obstacles in their life. Oh, this is the reason I can't do this, or this is what's stopping me from doing that. But it sounds like you found great success from obsessing and focusing on the opportunities that come out of whatever situation you're in. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think that I, that's a big thing. And, you know, the, there's, there's plenty of success stories. I like that, you know, Twitter wasn't that the guys, you know, um, Evan, the guys didn't sit down and go, let's go build Twitter. They were building something else. And out of that, they went, oh, hang on, this is a really cool little featured element. Let's see if we can give that a life of its own. And that became Twitter. Like there's so many stories of success that, that weren't planned. And that's, I think, I see that a lot in that people sort of have this one idea and they get so stuck on the particular idea that they're not willing to shift or pivot or whatever, you know, the this month's, you know, term is that everyone uses <laughs> with the buzzword. Oh, yeah. But really that's what it comes down to. It's like it's gotta be about the, the passion for the market and the passion for marketing. You know, that's my take is it's all about, you know, 
without good marketing, nothing will live. And you know, you got to have a good product. That's you know, uh, an obvious thing. But I think you know, marketing is where it comes down to. Is if you can't, you know, find out what the market wants and, and adjust your product to make meet that and communicate to them in the right way, you, you're not going to survive. And that's really what it all comes down to. Absolutely. Well, you had mentioned at the very beginning of the show, um, having the right people around you was really important. Tell me a little bit about more about that. I mean, obviously, uh, you've got to have people to do what you do. There's no way that you're doing all these businesses and ventures by yourself. So tell me a bit about your take on having the right people around you. Yeah, sure. Um, it sounds a bit cliche, I guess, but I've been very, very lucky that my wife um, knows where my passions are and you know, I've been like this since the day we met. So I've always sort of had business and, and marketing sort of my lifeblood. So I've been very, very blessed that she kind of allows me to do this crazy stuff and supports me and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, that's sort of hard for some people who kind of want to take that shift to be an entrepreneur later in life. And, you know, they've got to sort of convince their partner to support them. That's obviously a very different battle. And I, I can't unfortunately talk to that because I've been very lucky that sort of I've been like this the whole way and, and she kind of came in and and understood what she was marrying, I guess, for, for want of a better term. Um, so that's been a big, huge, huge support for me. Uh, but then it's just, yeah, it is. It's a team. It's having, you know, business partners. There's not really any project that I can think of off the top of my head that I've done solo. I've always had partners, and um, you know, they, they say, well, you know, what's the the ship that's guaranteed to sink? A partnership. But um, absolutely, I. I've been lucky that I've just found people who sort of have that fit. And I think there's a couple of things I've learned in that over the years. And the the big thing is have the hard conversations early uh, in that, you know, plan or at least have a discussion around failure in that you want to have that conversation and go, okay, before we start this, what happens when it goes ugly? What happens when I want to buy you out? What happens when you want to leave? What happens when... I work 80% and you work 20%. What happens when I only want to do the strategy stuff, but you're going to be the one with a shovel in their hand digging the holes? You know, we're going to be 50-50 partners in this equity-wise, but you're going to be doing 70% of the work. Like have those hard, ugly conversations early because when the the passion is high, the excitement's high, it's all blue sky and that at the start of a project, everyone sort of thinks it's going to be wonderful. If you can't have the t- have at least one pretty serious two or three hour conversation about what will happen if this all goes pear shaped, then there's no chance you're going to be able to do that when it actually does go pear shaped. And I think that's been a big lesson I've learned over the years is that you know with all these projects as we go go forward and start new stuff, it's like okay, this is this is the plans, this is the goals, this is the blue sky, this is awesome. Now let's just put that aside for five minutes or three hours, and let's go okay here. What happens when we want to leave? What is it? What happens when we sell? What happens when shit hits the fan? Like, how do we deal with all of that? And I think that's important to really set that foundation up front because that way there's no sort of gray area, you know, devil looking over someone's shoulder, you know, that sort of stuff. And I think that's sort of not spoken about enough, I think, as a as an advice tip when starting a partnership and getting a team is being really transparent about it. So I think that's a big one. Yeah, that's great advice, man. I'll be honest with you. I personally am not a fan of partnerships. Um, I've never been in one, but I know that they fail a lot. But your advice you just gave, man, never never even considered that. But that is, uh, man, that makes a lot of sense. Because like you say, if you wait till you're already deep into something, I mean, you have no idea what the other person's take is or what they're going to think. That could get really ugly. So that's a very proactive way to approach that. Very nice. I think that's why I think most things break down is because expectation management wasn't done up front. And I hand like that's that is my buzzword of the month at the moment. Expectation management. <laughs> I'm handing it to the staff in the in the companies about you know client expectation management. Manage my expectations. It's just if you manage people's expectations in life, things work out. You know, bad things happen, problems arise. But if you can manage an expectation, uh, that's all you, all a client ever wants, all all a boss ever wants is just to manage your expectations and deliver on that. Don't leave people in the dark. So if you sort of take that back and apply it here, is that you know, if you start a business and you, all you talk about is blue sky and you don't sort of talk about the exit strategy or when she hits a fan or how do we potentially shift some of the equity at some point when someone wants to step back a little bit or whatever that means is if you have that expectations conversations up front, then when something does happen in three months, six months, six years, there's no sort of self 
conversation that your partner's having with themselves that kind of will undermine the business and there's no sort of hidden agendas or, or false assumptions. And I think that's really, really important. And I think that's what breaks down most partnerships is just not actually someone goes rogue and turns into a prick. It's that <laughs> it's simply that the expectations weren't aligned at the start and yeah. that someone starts going, well, hang on, I'm doing this, but Johnny over there is not doing his fair share or Susie has got this ridiculous expectation of uh, of the exit strategy that she wants to leave but wants me to buy her out for $2 million. It's like it, all it is is just expectations weren't aligned. That's the simple breakdown of most partnerships. So if you actually address that up front, you kind of take that devil off the table and it should make it much easier. That there's going to be bumps. There's going to be waves and all that sort of stuff, but your boat won't sink. Very nice. I like what you're saying, Pete. This is good stuff, man. Very good stuff. Well, I'm going to switch gears on you real quick. I'm looking at my notes and I'm intrigued, so I'm going to ask. Uh, tell me a bit about your book. Um, what gave you the idea for the title and tell me a bit about it. Sure. Well, I hate the title. It sounds like a 2 a.m. infomercial. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, that particular book, um, I've got a new one coming out too, so I can mention that too if I've got time, which is much, it's a much better book. <laughs> first nice. book, I, I, that was probably it's about – eight years old now, I'd say, give or take, yeah. probably eight years old. Uh, so basically, that's the story of how I sold um, the MCG, the Melbourne Cricket Ground, which is Australia's version of Yankee Stadium. Yep. Um, so I'll tell that story in a moment. But in terms of the book title, it was interesting. And this is something probably fight for what you want. I was early 20s when I got that book deal. So I was kind of a bit you know, raw and, and wet behind the ears about sort of how this whole thing works. And the publishers were like, this is the title we should do. It's going to sell books. And never really liked it, but I trusted them and let them have that as a title. And I never felt comfortable about it because it does. It sounds so infomercially. And the photo on the front of the book is even cheesier. But, um, but the content's good. So basically, when I was um, 21, I had just got back from living in Florida. So I finished college. Uh, and moved to Florida for a while to kind of work and experience over there. I'd, I'd worked with Athletes Foot, the shoe store here in Australia uh, when I was at college and then had the opportunity to go. Um, and the original plan was to work for about six months at about seven or eight different stores across America, kind of do a bit of a road trip, a bit of a reconnaissance mission, I guess, to sort of bring back what um, the Athletes Foot chain is doing in the States back to the Australian stores and, and things like that. Uh, and started off in Florida and was planning to work my way back to LA and then fly home. Got to Florida at the start of December and went, it's the middle of winter here in America. Why would I want to leave the beach? I'm a 21-year-old with an Australian accent living just north of South Beach. Why would I want to move? So that basically, gold, my friend. That's gold. Right <laughs> so basically spent the six months just living and enjoying my life in, uh, in um, South Beach, which was great fun. Uh, and then um, – uh, met a girl, was planning on moving back to the States after I you know, got my visa stuff sorted, but flew back to Australia and was, was working at Athletes Foot again at a new store that had just opened up. So it was pretty quiet. The, the mall was just getting established, so not a lot of foot traffic, pardon the pun, was coming into the store. Uh, so I was reading a book called The One Minute Millionaire by Robert Allen and Mark Victor Hansen. And in that, one of the stories it tells is a story about a, a, a New Jersey gentleman back in the late 80s that brought all the timber that was the Brooklyn Bridges walkway. So the timber walkway was getting renovated. All the timber got pulled up and he bought it all and made little certificates up with uh, the history of the Brooklyn Bridge and an inch by inch square of the timber. Now, word around the campfire was that he made about $2 million selling his little $20 certificates up. And I'm like, that is brilliant. How can I basically rip that idea off and apply it here in Australia? And the MCG, the Melbourne Cricket Ground, which is probably uh, the most iconic sporting stadium um, in the Commonwealth. You know, we play cricket and football, Australian rules footy. So it's a huge stadium, 110,000-seat stadium. Wow. So our version of Yankee Stadium in terms of the um, impressiveness of the stadium and the cultural history of the stadium, it's the best analogy I can think of. So one of the stands there was getting um, demolished, and it was probably the most prestigious Stand. It's called the MCC Members Pavilion. So basically, it's like a 50-year waiting list to get into the members area of this of this stadium. It's about you yeah. know 25,000 seat section, which is sort of really prestigious. Is anyway, 15 or 50, 50 year wow. wait list. People like are literally putting their kids on it the day they get born, kind of scenario. Oh my Insane. goodness. It's, yeah, it's just sort of it's really prestigious. But then you get access to any single event at the stadium. It's like I think it's 25,000 seat section that sort of. 
give or take. Um, so it's pretty cool. It's just this, you know, historical sort of part of the, the, the stadium and the stand. So anyway, that part of the stadium was getting demolished. Uh, and the carpet that lay in the bar and the members' dining room in that sort of area was very prestigious. It's sort of got dog ugly, like terribly disgusting, but it's got the actual logo of the, sta- the stadium on there, so it was kind of really well known. So anyway, the stadium was getting pulled down, and my thought was I'll, the, the seats were made of timber. So I'll go and basically do this exact same thing that the New Jersey guy did in the 80s and basically make up certificates, buy the timber, et cetera, et cetera. Got onto the wrecking company that was doing the demolition, and they said, "Yeah, yeah, we've got some timber sitting here. It's just in the in the shed. Well, we're not doing anything with it. We're going to probably throw it out. But we've also got some of this crested carpet." And I was knew exactly what it was and how sort of iconic it was here in Australia. So I went, "Yep, bought it over the phone for basically next to nothing." They're like, "This old carpet. Why the hell does this you know twenty one year old kid want to buy this carpet? Like, he's an idiot." <laughs> um, <laughs> then basically. Made some some um, designed up. Went to a local framer. Got some frames made up with a photo of the MCG, a piece of the carpet, historical plaque, and wrote a press release. Twenty-one year old sells the MCG for under five hundred dollars, uh, and just you know all the major news and radio and TV um, publications went nuts with it, uh, as it was a pretty good hook and a great little story. Uh, and then that was sort of the whole project. Now there's a lot more to it than that in terms of the way we were able to structure it in that. You know, I left all the carpet at the framers, so I, I got an order. I'd literally just call the framer and go, yep, here's the details of the order. He'd make the frame. He'd ship it. So I got paid beforehand before we even had to make a single frame. It was all sort of leverage. I literally sat at home my underwear taking orders, which was great. and didn't have to do a single thing really. So the book was basically that whole story. Um, you know, I got to do some speaking gigs off the back of that little project and, and, and great fun. And then got approached to do a book deal. So basically, the book tells the story of how I sold the MCG, basically, and kind of how I turned that idea into reality and sort of talks about all that sort of stuff and some of the businesses that I'd, I'd had at the time, sort of lessons I'd learned there. So it was a, it's a pretty cool book. And it's actually, I've got the rights back to that now. I was able to negotiate that with the publisher a few years ago. So the audio version is available completely for free on the website. So if you go to Preneur Marketing, Dot com. If anyone's interested, you can get the audio version completely for free. There's no hidden agenda or anything like that. So, yeah, that's available if, you, if people are interested. Very nice. I appreciate you telling us about that. That's an awesome story, man. That's uh, that's one of those things that, uh, you know, I think Amazon, I, I could be wrong, but I'm going to say it anyway because I think I'm right. But I think the guy that's uh, the CEO of Amazon, his name escapes me right now. But I think Jeff Bezos. He, yeah, I think he's kind of known for saying, like, we're not doing, you know, what we're doing is looking at, the, each area of our business and whoever's doing it the best in the world, we just copy them. You know, why, yeah. re, why reinvent the wheel? <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, people always, I talk to people and you probably do too all the time. They're like, man, I, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I just, I don't know what I can invent. And I'm like, you don't have to invent anything. It's an option, but why reinvent the wheel? I mean, you don't necessarily, or wait, I could confuse myself. You don't necessarily have to make something new. You can take something that's existing and absolutely your flair on it. Cause Nobody does it like Pete. Nobody does it like me. Nobody does it like the next person. But some people just mm. don't. They don't think of it that way. So, mm, absolutely. We, and that's the thing is like nothing. I've, like the the E Hero product is a great invention. I didn't invent it. I've just found a, a guy who's got a great product and couldn't market it well in the niche that I thought it was worth going into. So, helped him team up with that. You know, the phone systems. We don't make the phone systems. We don't make the headsets. We sell the same bits of plastic that our competitors do. We just do it. We just sell it and market it and communicate it and support it better than they do. Like it's nothing about that. And a great analogy that I use all the time, and it might be relevant given the founder movie, the McDonald's movie that, that's out um, at the moment, uh, is that my understanding is that McDonald's stole the idea of a drive-through from the banking industry. That the banking industry in the US had drive-through windows before fast food did, and McDonald's stole it or um, modelled it if we want to use a, a more softer term, <laughs> modeled that idea uh, from the banking industry for the drive-throughs in, in fast food. Like that, that wasn't a new idea. It wasn't, you know, and fast food's known for their drive-throughs now, but that wasn't sure. actually a fast food industry initiative. Nice. I didn't know that. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, why, why not take uh, yeah, kind of patchwork, you know, your own things together that, uh, that makes sense. So that, that totally, totally makes sense for me. And uh, I hope people listening think about things a little bit differently and say, you know what, that gives me an idea. So we talked just a second about your first book. Tell us about the other book. You got me interested. You see you got another one that's coming out. <laughs> I definitely want to make time for that. Yeah, sure. So um, got the book deal in March this year, so it's taken a while to write. There's too many other things going on. But basically, um, it's about a framework. So something that I kind of realized uh, 
after a while of working on our various projects and, and products and bits and pieces that there's sort of a, a framework that we continually kind of use to sort of scale and grow and, and work on the businesses. And something that we've kind of termed the seven levers uh, or the 10% win, sort of depending on, on what day you talk to me, I kind of refer to it as either or. <laughs> and basically, <laughs> there's only really seven things that drive the profit of any business. No matter what the business is, there's fundamentally seven things that drive its profit. Uh, and they sound a bit obvious when you think about it, but if you sort of then take a moment to actually ponder, am I actually working my business like this? Your answer will probably be no. So let me go through them and, and don't dismiss it until you actually think about applying it and how you can apply it and the power of applying it. So traffic, how many people sort of you know see your website or walk into your store? Let, let's use athlete's foot as an example in, in terms of this because it's probably a, a good one to use. So you've got traffic. How many people walk into your actual you know, retail store? Then you've got uh, selects or opt-ins. How many people actually self-select to, to potentially become a customer? So you know, people walk into a store and look around and you know, they don't necessarily you know, take that next step, pardon the pun, to becoming a client or a customer. So in, in the footwear store, it was all about getting people to try on a pair of shoes, getting them to sit down and try on a pair of shoes. That's sort of that next step that leads a person to a sale. So you've got traffic, you've got selects, you've got conversions. How many people who actually try on a pair of shoes actually buy them? Average item price, pretty straightforward. What's your average item price you sell in the store? Average items per sale. So when you sell a pair of shoes, are you also selling a pair of socks or a replacement pair of insoles or shoe cleaner or whatever it might be? You've got transactions per client. How often do they come back and buy from you again? And then you've got your overall margins. So there are seven things. So each of those things contribute to your end profit. The more traffic you get, the more everything else runs through. Now, that sounds pretty obvious when you think about it. Yeah, those seven things, yeah, they, they're important. They drive business. But this is the crazy thing. is If you increase each of those by just 10%, so you have – if your average people walking into your store is 100 people a day, you increase that by 10% to 110. So you put an A-frame at the front of your store. You do some sign writing on the window to get people into the store. 10% increase is not hard. You know, maybe if you're running a, an e-commerce business, you know, doing a little bit of a review and some tweaks on your AdWords campaign, spending three days tweaking your SEO to get a 10% increase. We're not saying tripling your traffic. We're saying increasing it from 1,000 visitors a month to 1,100 visitors a month. You know, it's just that 10% increase. Very, very easy. So if you increase your traffic by 10%, your selects or your opt-ins by 10%, and all those seven levers by 10%, the actual profit of your business doubles. Your net profit doubles. So you double your business, you double your take-home profit by seven simple 10% wins. And this is what I see all the time and it does my head in when I see people going, I'm trying to triple my traffic. I need to triple my traffic. I need to double my conversion rate. I need to do this. It's like, no, seven easy 10% wins is very, very simple. You know, there's plenty of case studies out there you can see that by simply putting some trust banners, some secure purchase logos on the e-commerce checkout page can increase your conversion rate from you know, 20% to 22%. That's what we're saying. It's a 10% increase. So if your conversion rate now is 20%, we're only looking to get it to 22 10% increase. If your opt-in rate is 30%, we're looking at getting it to a 33% opt-in rate. It's only small 10% wins. If you look at it like that, 10% wins are pretty easy to do. And quite often, if you just take the time to sit down and go, okay, let's review these seven key areas of my business, just by reviewing them, you'll probably find leakage that saves you or gains you 10% straight away. You know, oh, hang on, my sales guys aren't actually asking, would you like fries with that? So just make sure you hit them over the head with, with, a, with a spoon every day and go, ask for the fries, ask for the fries. And you'll probably find that 10% increase of items per transaction will just happen naturally by just asking them. And you probably think it's already happening, but because you're not looking at it and measuring it, it's not. So just by reviewing your, ten, your seven levers, quite often and most likely, you'll probably get 10% wins out of it and you'll double your profit just like that. It's really quite simple, but huge leverage and huge scale. Uh, so don't dismiss the simplicity of it because it is so powerful. And I think so many entrepreneurs get caught up in this chase, in this race for huge wins and huge goals because they see the Zuckerbergs of the world and they see the blog posts that talk about, here's one strategy that got me 34,000 traffic hits to my website last week or here's this you know, sales writing technique that will explode your conversion rates. Like who cares about exploding your conversion rates? I just want a 10% win. 
And for a lot of businesses, you know, you can get those ten percent wins in seven weeks. You do. We could probably get two ten percent wins. So you, you double your business twice in eight weeks. Spend one week just reviewing, analyzing, assessing, measuring, defining your seven levers. What is traffic for you? What is an opt-in for you? What is conversion for you? And you realize that your sales team are using the old proposal rather than the new one you got designed three months ago that will increase your conversion rates by 10% because the proposal actually has testimonials and case studies and supporting documentation in it. Like just by spending a week reviewing, defining, measuring, and ensuring people are doing what they should be doing, you can instantly have seven 10% wins. And then you say, okay, I'm going to spend one week on each lever for the next seven weeks. I'm going to spend a whole week reviewing our proposals and the way our sales guys convert a client. I'm going to put in an email sequence. So someone who comes into my bike store and buys a bike on Monday gets an email every week for the next you know, 20 weeks selling them um, service, selling them replacement tires, selling them a softer seat, selling them sunglasses to ride with, selling them gloves and get them to come back and buy something else from you. You could write that email sequence in a week. You could write 30 emails in a week, put them into an email sequence. Then everyone who buys from your, your store goes into that email sequence to, to get those emails to get them to come back and increase your transactions per client. You spend one week speaking to all your suppliers, reviewing all your invoices and negotiating discounts and getting 10% savings on all your, your expenses so your margins go down. Like it's not actually hard when you think about it to get these 10% wins because you're not trying to shoot for the moon. So basically, it's such an easy framework. So basically, after my six-minute rant or 10-minute rant, I apologize, that's fundamentally what the new book's about is all of that in a much more in-depth way. I have a feeling, <laughs> uh, I have a feeling that book's going to sell really well for you, man. That was uh, super interesting. I'm sitting here thinking about all that stuff like I need to write this down and I'm like, no, I can just listen to the podcast. <laughs> well, you know, it's so fun. yes, that's basically it. You know what's funny is you're right. People, it doesn't matter if it's weight loss or entrepreneurship or whatever the case may be, people always want that magic pill. What can I do with the least amount of work to get the biggest outcome? And what you're saying is the same thing I hear a lot of people say. That's not how it works. You know, People need to focus on getting those little wins consecutively and then reaping the benefits of that residual effect. And that's, that's, uh, you know, that's right in line with what you're saying. And that's, that's yeah. awesome. Well, look, it does work. Like, let's, like, let's be frank about it. Like, I would say that big wins work. Absolutely do work. You can go and get um, is it gastro surgery where they sort of you know pull a tube around your gut to sort of stop you eating, which will make you lose a whole bunch of weight. Yes. Yeah, that does work. That's bloody extreme. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes, Zuckerberg exists. Yes, you could go and write and get a guest post on or a blog post interview or a podcast interview with Tim Ferriss, and that one thing will sell you like you know twenty five twenty five thousand books. Sure. Why spend all your effort trying to figure out how you can get in with him and get on his show and yada, 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 yada? Why you know, always shoot for the moon when consistency in the right areas is a lot more guaranteed? Yep. Yeah, it's like, well, I, that's my take on it. And I don't know whether that's what that comes from, but I would much rather work on 10% wins consistently that are easy to get knowing that the, the compound effect of that is guaranteed as opposed to trying to chase the um, the blog post um, example that always gets clicks, you know, like you see them, you know, you see the blog posts that are shared on Twitter or, on, or in your Facebook feed or yep. um, on Product Hunt or whatever those sort of you know various sharing sites are, Reddit maybe that sort of yeah they, they are there. This one tactic that got me eleven thousand views to my website last week. It's like well yeah, but they're one in a million chance of it actually coming off and going viral. Yep. Like you know, like viral videos. Like I think viral videos are bloody cool. Trying to manufacture a viral video is the biggest waste of time, money, and resources you could possibly have. Create a video that converts for the traffic you already have and get that ten percent win of conversion rate. Don't create. Don't go and drop ten grand in three months trying to create and manufacture a viral video because the chance of it being the next you know Dollar Shave Club video is slim to none. Absolutely. No, that's really well so said. Why, 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 why focus on it? Doesn't make sense. Yeah. No, Pat uh, Pat Flynn, it's been a while. I was listening yep. to one of his shows, and he was saying, you know, the first time he wrote a blog post that went viral, he had, he had no idea. I mean, he says, mm. you, know, you have no idea what it's going to be. Like, you may write a blog post and throw it out there, like, oh, yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one here. And it gets, you know, average views. And then, mm. you know, a week later, you may throw it out there that feels average, and people are just running with it. And you're like, what is going on? I mean, you just. 
you have no idea how that domino effect's going to work. So, like you say, I agree with you. Don't don't obsess about it. Mm. So, very interesting. You're going to love this question. What are your thoughts on the percent of time? So, that, just think about, I guess, entrepreneurs in general. But what are your thoughts about the percent of time spent on marketing versus creation? So, if this podcast takes me an hour and a half to record and edit, that versus actually distributing that as an example. Mm. Good question. Very good question. Thank you, sir. Uh, it's a hard one to answer because my gut feel says marketing's key because you you want to make sure that people hear about it and know about it. But you want to actually create good stuff. Like you don't want to sort of just bang together a, a blog post in twenty five minutes and then spend. Yeah, you know, sixteen hours promoting it like that's that skews a bit <laughs> off. But uh, your point. Well I taken. think it's got to be at least fifty-fifty, in my opinion. Okay. I think, um, yeah, like the eighty-twenty principle of like eighty percent content, good you know, good content sells, good product sell. Yeah, they do, and like yeah, great products do kind of get a life of their own to a certain extent. But again, this is my take a little bit. And it probably change if we spoke again in six months' time. That you still need to let the world know about your really good, good stuff. Like there's there's really good people out there who, who are making really good stuff, but they're not promoting it and talking about it the right way. So they're not, you know, cashing the check. You know, there's there's plenty of people out there who, if you go down to uh, Venice Beach on the courts down there, or you go to the basketball courts in New York City, there's there's players that on, the, on those courts who would absolutely start in the NBA. Not a lot of them, but they're probably you probably be able to find four or five players on the on those you know playground courts who are NBA starter worthy. So they've got the skills, they've got the product, they've got the package there ready to go, but they haven't promoted themselves properly. They haven't gone about the right way to get on those courts and 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 get the big check to play NBA. So it's not about the product not being good enough. They've got the skills. So they've got a great product. They just haven't actually wrapped it up and marketed it and, and told the scouts about it in the right way. And that's sort of a very analog example. So I think it's you've got to work on your craft. You've got to have a good, you know, this book that I'm writing right now. If it's if it's crap, I could market the hell out of it and I could probably sell a lot of books, but it'll disappear very, very quickly and it won't have that longevity that you want. So there is that sort of a watch your outcome a little bit as well. You know, if you want to have a quick win and, you know, just be able to uh, manufacture a New York Times best-selling book, that's not actually that hard to do. You'll be there one week, you'll be gone the next, you've technically become a New York Times bestseller and you have that label. Now, if that's your outcome, then you want to spend 90% on marketing, 10% on content. But if your outcome is to create a really, really good book that's got longevity that actually is going to help the reader and actually going to help you long-term, then it's got to be more 50-50. Absolutely. So it really is an, an uh, outcome orientated answer really i guess as i as i sort of talk it through yeah no i think that's a really good answer and it's uh you know i feel like this this show this episode right now it's got a lot of good a uh, lot of good meat to it so this is good stuff man i'm enjoying this i appreciate it so let me pick your brain a little Being bit fun. with this um yeah fun is the name of the game we both have good oh, senses of humor so that yeah. helps well in terms of the question you asked me before the show if you put the cream on it every day for a week it'll, it'll heal up if that's what you're going to ask me next <laughs> I owe you one, my friend. I owe you one. Um, okay, so uh, pretend you're addressing a group of entrepreneurs kind of in that zero to 100K of annual income range. So these guys are you – know, Net some, profit or revenue? Income uh, is in like net profit? Uh, we'll just say gross profit, gross revenue. Okay. How about that? Gross revenue, yep. Yep. So say you're addressing a group of guys in that range. What three items would you suggest to those entrepreneurs that they should focus on to kind of get past that level? Uh, I think it's seven levers. So I'd, I'd really say probably seven things, okay. unfortunately. Okay. Nope. <laughs> I'd say um, foundation scale. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is systemization really in terms of to be able to grow your business, there's a point where you have to actually get scale. So for, for scale to work, you really got to get your systems and your foundation right. Uh, and it's a painful thing to hear and no one ever listens to it until you actually go through it yourself. But you can't scale without systemization and documentation and and processes and, and, and that sort of stuff. So I think there's that fine line and oh, I don't want to sort of go on too much of a rant. 
there's you, you got to systemize the scale. So that's that's a big thing. But don't systemize until you have the pain. Like I see people who let me give you what's a good example. Um, let's say you're a business consultant for one of a better example, right? You're a business consultant. You sell you sell your sell you sell your time as a business consultant. I see so many people they're trying to do. They try and automate this whole sales pipe where people come online, they opt in for a report, and then they read the report, and they read your sales letter, then they buy your consulting, your six-month consulting package all online because you've got this really good ebook, and then you've got an email sequence, then you've got the sales letter, and then you've got the sales letter, and you've got the checkout form, right? So you go to town on this automation sequence. You haven't even got your second client yet. It's like, well, get on the friggin' phone and close them on the phone. Don't put a system in place until you actually have overwhelming leads. Like, I see that happen a lot. So I think it's about systemizing stuff, but systemizing stuff to give you scale, not systemizing stuff for the sake of systemizing stuff. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense at all? It does, absolutely. I, I see that a lot, and it kind of really frustrates me when people are like, no, I need to get this whole system there, Pat. It's like, well, have you made five sales yet? No, get on the friggin' phone. Just get people to call you. If you if they like your ebook, tell them. If you're interested, call me. Don't send them to some sort of you know $10,000 written sales letter and sequences and sales funnel and evergreen webinar. It's like, no, just get them on the friggin' phone and sell them. It's almost like uh, over-analysis paralysis in disguise. Yeah. You yeah. know, they, they won't admit that, but it's, hey, I, I got to get the system in place. Well, well, why don't you just, like you said, why don't you use your skills and connect with somebody and uh, you know close the deal? So, Yeah, it's, um, I think it's also um, uh, feeling they have achievement. No, was it confusing action with achievement? So just because they feel like they're building this e-commerce site, they're building this sales letter, they're building this sales funnel, they're doing the webinar, they're working on that sort of script in the slides. It's like, I'm working on my business. I'm, I'm, I'm building a successful business because I'm, I'm having all these assets being created, a sales letter, a funnel, a webinar script, a webinar slide deck, an automated evergreen webinar, whatever it might be. I feel like I'm growing my business because my business now has more assets of marketing or marketing assets. Yet, are you actually achieving anything for the bottom line of your business? Yep. It's easy to lose track of that uh, always be selling mentality, honestly. Mm. So many people, it's all about they feel like they're growing because they're creating marketing assets yep. or content assets. And it's like, okay, yeah, that does work in a lot of circumstances if you have the real clear reason why, but don't confuse action for actual achievement. I love that, man. I love that quote so much that I would love to put it in my book that I'm writing with your permission. Of course, go for it. Okay. I've got a book coming out in hopefully March. It's called The Backwards Route to Forward Progress. Seven solutions Ooh, nice. for crushing self-doubt, limiting beliefs, and fear. I may have cool. butchered that a little bit, but um, no, I mean, I just stuff you're saying is uh, really resonating with me, and I'd love to share that. So, very cool. Yeah, I'm more than welcome to. Awesome, I appreciate that. Um, how much has networking kind of played into your success? You've uh, mentioned business partners and partnerships, and having the right people around you. You've you've alluded to networking being important, but when I ask you directly, uh, what do you have to say? Yeah, um, I guess it has a lot, but more in terms of my net my, my network has helped a lot. Networking hasn't. Interesting. Tell me more. And what I mean by that is, I haven't really gone to a networking event for uh, Jesus, uh, seven years, eight years, probably. Okay. In terms of going to a, a, I'm going to go to a networking event to network. I haven't done that at all. Like, yes, I've done. I've, I've, I've been in a position where it has changed changed the game a little bit. But don't let this be an excuse. Don't go. Oh yeah, you know, Pete's a speaker. He, he's been to events where he's spoken at, so he's obviously got this little sort of you know halo around his head at the event. So people, all the good people, want to talk to him. So he builds his network that way. Like, yeah, I've been lucky to do that. So let's not put that aside and sort of say that's not true. But um, I think. It's yeah, going to these networking events hasn't been all that valuable because the people who go to networking events are a different sort of caliber as opposed to saying, I'm going to go to a conference to learn but then just chat to people at the event. Like so that, You can class that as networking if you want to. Technically, I guess if you look at the Webster's Dictionary, it probably would say that's, te- that's networking. But I find going to events 
and asking smart questions of the speakers. Um, having conversations there is a much better use of your time than going to a Thursday night networking event at the uh, local chamber of commerce. Um, it's interesting because I agree with you. I mean, I went to a networking event and I live in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana area, a little bit south, but I went to a networking event probably been two months ago. Maybe there's a hundred people there and, you know, a very small portion of those people actually kind of work the room and then I'm there looking for entrepreneurs. You got a lot of people looking for jobs and it's like, you know, of all the people here, there's maybe one or two people that we had a decent conversation with, but at the end of the day, is it really worth my time? Did I really get anything lasting out of it? And I think that's what you're saying. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're better off if you're wanting to sort of build some key relationships, just offer value in terms of like, let's say, hypothetically, you're a fan of Tim Ferriss. We used his example before, let's say, Tim. Uh, and you, you want to connect with Tim. Now, they don't do this because Tim's probably not the person to do it with because he's He's too insanely busy and, and bits and pieces. But you go, okay, Tim, and Tim's speaking with himself. He's like, go to him and go, hey, Tim, I love your show. I'd love to create uh, little Instagram images or social media images for your podcasts every week. I'll just do five or six a week and I'll send them to you for free. I love your show. It's a way to say thank you. Like give that value to him. Do it really well consistently. That's going to build that relationship with him. It's going to give you a lot more power than going to a – a, a, a networking night every Thursday night and having drinks and spending 50 bucks on drinks and having conversations with, with, with these people. Spend those three hours giving value to someone that is worth having in your network. Mm-hmm. Do it, it that way. You talk- Invest your time in giving rather than sort of trying to go to networking, deliver to a, deliver and build a network. Mm-hmm. Well, something you talked about much earlier, um, I don't remember the exact contents, but or context that you set it in, but you said something along the lines of, you know, sometimes we, we set out to do X and then we find a reason or an opportunity to pivot and start heading towards Y. So you said something to that effect. Yep. And what's interesting is today is December 21st, 2016. On April 2nd of this year, I started this podcast. I had no idea what, why I was doing it or what I was doing or what would come out of it. But what I found really just right now, what I just realized is this is my networking event. This allows me to connect with people like yourself in countries all over the world and give you value. Your value is you get to talk to hopefully what you see is another intelligent person with a horrible rash that needs cream. But that's for another show. (laughs) And you also get to promote what you're doing in your story as well. So there's kind of that instant win-win. And the show lives on forever because it doesn't go away. So – um, yeah, this is my networking, and this is uh, certainly more valuable for me than going to mm. the local, you know, like you say, waste three hours, spend 50 bucks, and see the same people every week event. So, yeah. very, very cool. All right, so when we Hold think on. about what you've done with business, and you sound like a young guy. You may be similar in age to me. I'm 35. Mid-30s. Yep. yep. Yep, absolutely. So, how do you maintain the mindset to overcome the obstacles that you've faced? How do you keep the endurance and, and what motivates you or allows you to keep pushing forward? Um, I think that's a bit of a loaded question in that there's some shit days. Like let's not sort of be all roses on a podcast and say, yeah, I'm awesome. This is good. Every day I meditate for three hours, man, and then I wake up and I'm cool <laughs> and I go to work and it's just Gary Vaynerchuk every day, man. Like bullshit. Um, <laughs> there's, there's, there's crap days. You have days where ex-staff members do stupid stuff online and you've got to get the lawyers involved and then you've got days where you're just exhausted and don't want to get out of bed. Like that's just – that's life. Let's not – kid ourselves like you know meditation won't fix all of that yeah i try and meditate as much as i can but it's not every day it's not religious it's you know so i think it's just you know it's the way i'm wired so i i I enjoy it and there's waves of 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 it um i think for me personally having a few different projects going on gives me that release from one i can go to the other so some people sort of go yeah i I work every day and then i i go to the gym at night and i lift weights and that's my release my release is I'm at the telco every like you know three or four days a week dealing with the telco staff, and my release is coming home and writing the book or marketing ear heroes or doing that sort of stuff. So kind of my my release from one work is work in another area because that's just my passion. That's what I enjoy. So that's kind of 
part of my release and how I do keep to sort of stay fresh, so to speak, is sure. I can sort of jump from, from project to project. Yeah. Um, my family's always nice. It's sort of about to go and hang out with my three-and-a-half-year-old and my wife and have that sort of stuff. My wife, as I said before, is is very understanding but also the complete opposite to me mm-hmm. in that she is not businessy at all. Um, and I reckon if you got her on the show and asked her to explain what I do, she'd have no idea. <laughs> in that I really try and have that black and white break that when I'm hanging out with her watching Kardashians on TV at 9.30 at night it is a complete disconnect which is really good oh, yeah. so I guess that's kind of a roundabout sort of answer but I don't want to sort of sit here and go man if you meditate for an hour every day and you you know, become a vegan and eat plant based and you, you know, you, you do that, man. Life will be smooth and life will be easy and you just love this journey and it's all Vaynerchuk. Like that's just not reality. No, I agree with you. And, you know, one thing that, that I'm known for, you know, I'm the same anywhere you find me. Uh, the same, use the same voice in my writing, same voice in my coaching, same ghost in my, voice in my podcasting or in real life. And I'm a very real person. I'm a very, I'm a person that values authenticity in other people a lot. And you've got that, my friend. So you're okay in my book. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> So when you think about all the social platforms out there, what do you think is the most influential uh, out there and, and why? So I know, for example, your buddy Dave loves YouTube, and I get it. Yeah. He's uh, been able to repurpose a heck out of uh, some different things like that. Uh, what mm-hmm. are your thoughts? Uh, uh, we don't use social. I don't do, do social at all. No? Like I've, got a fa- I've, got a, I've got a Facebook account, which is private for my family and friends. I've got Instagram, sure. which is private for my family and friends. Um, it's interesting. So with all our with all the telco stuff, it's all B2B. So we've never really done sure. much social stuff in the 12 years because it's just not the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got some plans to try some social stuff next year, We've got some, which I think is going to be pretty exciting. Um, and let's have another chat in six months' time and I'll tell you if it actually worked and I'll be transparent about what we did. I th- I'm pretty bullish about it, but it's going to be a very unique way of using social. Okay. Um, it won't be social necessarily to drive traffic or to generate a brand. It'll be social for a existing customer experience thing, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. But happy to chat about it in six months. I'll tell you what what we did and how it bombed, or what it did and how it worked really, really well. Um, we've done a little bit of social in the ear hero stuff that's in the consumer space, but not really. Um, and we probably should do more. But most of like I'm a direct response marketer. That's my belief, and I think social. Okay, so we've done. Okay, let me correct with that. Facebook ads have worked really, really well for the ear hero stuff, and Facebook ads have worked really, really well for the um, MCG project. We're still selling frames eight years on, wow. or thirteen years on, really. Um, so we're still selling those frames. We, we do some launches every now and again, and you know, for Christmas and Father's Day and start of the football season and, and all that sort of stuff. So we do sort of select launches uh, and releases every year. Um, so Facebook works really, really well for that. But I don't class that as a social platform. When you ask me what's a good social platform, that's a direct response advertising platform. Mm-hmm. There's a social element to it where if I, if we had a, a Facebook account and we did posts and we, and we communicated with our audience and we you know, responded to comments, that's, that's a social platform. The way we use Facebook is an advertising direct response platform. We spend money, we advertise, we can track the results. That's not social. That's just advertising. Yep. Um, and that's why I really define it in my mind. So I can't really tell you what works really well. Um, Ashley Bynes, who's a, a fitness um, personality here in Australia, um, and I think globally now too, Ashley Bynes, um, mid-late 20s girl um, on the Gold Coast here in Australia. She's got a huge following um, and has a huge business, an information marketing business on, on weight loss and fitness and booty challenges and get that perfect butt for summer kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> my wife is obsessed with her, not in a in a weird way, but Snapchat. Like my wife is loving – like my wife is the barometer for what works on social and her thing is, is Snapchat. She is loving Snapchat at the moment and Ashley Bynes does it really, really well. Um, and she probably, yeah, snaps probably 25 times a day, Good you know, God. um, but you think about it, like it's 25 times a day, but she'll do it in like five, five minute blocks. Yeah. So that's her business. It's not, it actually doesn't, it sounds insane, but it's not really when you break yeah, it down. I got you. I got you. Um, but she works, she, she works Snapchat like a queen 
Um, and my and my wife sits on the couch at night and listens to, and watches all the Snapchats, and I kind of hear it. And she does it really, and and actually does it extremely well. So Snapchat seems to be working really well at the moment. I have no idea how to make it work. I've just seen it work. Mm. So absolutely, well, that's really good. So I want to ask you, what's next? We know you've got another great book coming out. We know you've got some sort of a top secret social experiment that we'll learn about in six months. <laughs> what else you got cooking, my friend? Ah, uh, well, it's interesting. The telco industry here in Australia is just starting a bit of a gold rush. So it's, it's doubling down in the telco space, really, which I'm excited about. We started a carrier about 18 months ago. So historically, we were in hardware, so selling phone systems. Boring as batshit. Um, <laughs> but uh, about 18 months ago, we started a phone carrier. So we now do phone bills and internet services and VoIP and, and all that sort of stuff, which is it's, it's a good change and, and, and growth for us in our, in our, in our company and our group. Now, not to bore your listeners too much, but basically the government in Australia is fundamentally ripping up all the phone lines and the copper cabling across the entire country and replacing it with fiber. Like huge, major, like it's probably the biggest um, government infrastructure thing happening in the world anywhere uh, and the biggest thing ever happened in Australia. And it's – they've balls it up. That's a whole other conversation. But basically, it means that every single business and every single home in Australia has to do something with their internet and has to do something with their phone systems. Wow, it's that's a big opportunity, man. Huge. It's, so it's basically it's doubled down for the next two or three years. It's a big gold rush. So it's going hard for two or three years in that. So that's sort of um, – sounds a bit boring, but it's it's exciting because we get to a whole new bunch of challenges and a whole new bunch of marketing opportunities and a whole bunch of growth. So that really is the next couple of years for us is just going hard in the telco. Very nice. Well, we talked to – like a nice little boat and traveling the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what you need to try to do is figure out what the government's doing with all that copper and see if you can get a good deal on that too. That's it. Exactly right. Get it framed up. There you go. Well, we talked before the show, and I think I said let's shoot for 25 minutes. This has been phenomenal, man. And when the content's good, I just let it flow, man. I just let it flow and flow. Uh, if awesome. any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, I mean, you've got a lot of uh, great experience, great opinions, ideas. You're a pretty funny guy, too. How would they get, a, how Thanks, would they get in touch with you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Look, probably the best way to get in touch with you, if you go to Preneur Marketing, so P-R-E-N E-U-R, so preneur, like entrepreneur, so preneur or preneur, depending on where you want to pronounce it from. So preneurmarketing.com is the the blog where I post occasionally. I'll be frank about it. I've got too much other stuff going on. I'm, I'm not a full-time information marketer. I've got these real-world companies. I've got some good plans. I've hired a writer who's going to actually um, sit with me a couple times a week next year, and I'll just do stuff like this, and then he'll turn into three or four articles. So there'll be some more content coming from my voice and, and, and my insane mind um, next year. So preneurmarketing.com is probably the best place. There's no real social stuff. Preneur, like at Preneur on Twitter, but again, don't do a whole lot there. And my other socials are private because I use it for what it's meant to be, just for friends and family. So preneurmarketing.com, the, the book I mentioned there is for download. Uh, sevenleversreport.com, if that seven levers stuff was interesting, we wrote an ebook, uh, which is for free, um, giving away sevenlevers.com. You can download that or sevenleversreport.com. Sorry, seven number seven, leversreport.com uh, is there. So that's kind of it really. There's not a whole lot. And if you want to buy a phone system, give me a call. But other than that, got not much to sell you. <laughs> well, it's been fun, man. I appreciate it. This will make the 49th and final episode of this calendar year for our show. I'm glad you were a part of that. And I Thank you very much. Uh, I certainly plan on reaching out to you again and getting that six-month checkup going too. So we will, Don, talk to you. You. we will talk to you soon. All right. We are back to the show. Pete, if you're listening, thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. I will uh, ignore your poor choice of language this time in exchange for your humor. So it's, it balances out pretty good. But no, seriously, I appreciate your time. It's a lot of fun. I will follow up with you in six months and uh, see how things are going because you put that offer out there. So appreciate it very much. Well, Inspire Nation, I hope you guys have enjoyed 2016. This is the last episode of the year. We've got 49 under our belt. We've uh, done some shows with just me. We've done some co-hosted shows. We've done a bunch of shows with guests as well. Hope all of it's been valued, valuable to you. Um, if you guys want to check out the show notes from this episode, as always, go to intentionallyinspirational.com forward slash episode 49. And you can use that same format to access show notes for any of our show. And if you guys have not already, I'd love to see you join the mailing list, which you can do on the homepage. You'll see a little uh, sign up there and we'll give you a roadmap to initiating change in your life for signing up. You'll get that right away. No cost to you, no obligation. 
good stuff for you. And you get our blog post each week as well before it hits the site. Blog post is a really, really popular. It's actually the most popular thing on the site for now. But that's a good way to get involved and stay abreast of all the new things coming out. And trust me, for 2017, there'll be a whole bunch. As always, I appreciate you guys. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have found value in the show. And as always, you know, we we embrace that mindset that believers are achievers. If you believe you can do it and you believe you are worthy of doing it, we believe that you can get there. See you next year. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to another episode of our show. We hope that we brought you one step closer to maximizing your greatness. See you next time.